the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country tears Sweet land of liberty of Beyonce. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob Franz. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you, friends. It is uh, a Thursday morning. It is nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, 26th morning of the 10th month, year of our Lord, 2023. Another terrible, horrific mass shooting is... um, captivating the nation as we watch in horror and in uh and quite frankly in in compassionate fear for people who are still not out of the woods in lewiston maine portland maine the general area uh in which last night's horrific attack began a bowling alley and a bar were targeted in two separate locations very close to one another by the shooter who according to the latest reports um, is responsible for at least 22 deaths and 30-plus wounded. Um, this, is, this is personal in a weird way that's not personal to me, and I'll explain that in a moment. But I want to say this as we get started, too. It's this breaking news story that has caused us to uh, make a little change in programming. Uh, our guest list today uh, had included... My good friends, um, and I know they're good friends to a lot of people in Northeast Ohio. Before they moved from Beechwood out to Arizona, 
uh, where they continue to be very, very active in uh, politics and uh, important matters to them. But um, we were going to talk this morning with uh, Michael Goldstein and Beverly Goldstein. Beverly, of course, is a twice was twice a candidate for Congress um, here in Northeast Ohio. And Mike is a 30-year Navy veteran uh, intelligence officer who is, uh, both of them are very, very closely connected, as you can imagine, to the Jewish community of Beechwood and to the state of Israel, uh, bigger picture. And they were going to be my guests today for a full hour in this hour so that we could talk about the question that I asked on one of my road rants, if you're not following my video road rants, I call them Bob France road rants, and I post them on my Rumble page, and I post them on my uh, other social medias whenever I do them. I did a Rumble rant, um, or excuse me, a road rant um, the other day asking something I asked on this program, too, and that is why are American Jews so um, loyal to the Democrat Party that, quite frankly, does not earn that loyalty and, quite frankly, does not return that love. And that, of course, is not to say all Democrats. It is to say that the Democrat Party, writ large, because we're, we're less than three weeks removed from the October 7th barbarism committed by Palestinian terrorists called Hamas on Israeli Jews, and they have forgotten about the Jewish victims already and are continuing to scream for a ceasefire to stop the Jews, otherwise known as the Israeli Defense Forces, from going into Gaza and, and, and ending the, the terror organization that attacked them because they don't want them to cause the deaths of Palestinian civilians. They care more about Palestinians and less talking about Many, many, many Democrats, including and especially the President of the United States, who wants them to be proportional in their response while lying and saying that he uh, has un- unequivocal support for them. Why do Democrats, conti- or excuse me, Jews in America continue to vote for Democrats who do not have their best interests at heart, nor do they back and support the state of Israel the way that Republicans do? So I was, I, I've been asking this question for a long time. I don't have the answers, and so I was going to have Beverly and Mike on to explain from their perspective, and that was the plan this morning until the terrible shootings in Portland happened, or uh, excuse me, Lewiston, Maine, just about 30 miles north of Portland, uh, before that all went down. And so Mike and Beverly were kind enough to postpone their conversation with me about the state of the American Jew with respect to their political preferences uh, until tomorrow. So tomorrow, top of the show, about nine ten, nine fifteen, like right where we are right now, Beverly and Mike will be with me to uh, to have that conversation. And I welcome you, of course, to join it when that time happens as well. By the way, totally coincidentally, because we made this plan a while ago, well, earlier this week anyway, but totally coincidentally, there's an article that um, I saw this morning about that topic, an article that essentially calls for Jews to, quote, move on from the Democrats. Written by David Mamet in uh, Unheard, um, and it basically kind of reiterates the things I was just talking about. And the fact that American Jews, particularly, you know, this is about New York, but New York Jews have always voted for Democrats. Even if their policies and their Sometimes rampant, I mean, hold on one second. And their uh, rampant 
anti-Semitic. So it's so funny. I haven't coughed all morning long. I've been up for three hours. I haven't coughed one morning. I turn on the microphone and I start flapping my gums and I start to get this little nagging, <clears throat> this little nagging uh, cough that um, officially ends my uh, three-year run of being so extraordinarily healthy since I had COVID three years ago. Anyway, um, to move on from the Democrat Party, there's a very detailed article, and I'm going to have uh, Beverly and Mike address that tomorrow as well. So the question about American Jews and why they seem to continue to prefer the Democrat Party that practices anti-Semitism and uh, continually refuses to have their back, there are at least 18 of them in Congress, 18 Democrats that refused to sign a simple resolution condemning Hamas yesterday. Did you know that? They refused to condemn Hamas. There was a there was an almost unanimous House resolution to condemn Hamas. It wouldn't have done anything. It wasn't a it wasn't a budget bill. It wasn't a, a call for aid. It wasn't a dollar figure attached to it. It was a symbolic condemnation of Hamas doing what they did to Israel. Eighteen Democrats wouldn't sign that. How can any Jew in America support Democrats knowing that fact? Or at least as loyally as they do. But I digress. I want to get to what's going on in Maine. Because that is, of course, the the lead story this morning. As I mentioned, massive manhunt is underway. The suspect is uh, Robert Card, who is an interesting individual, a 40-year-old ex-military man, spent 20 years in the Army Reserves, as I understand it, is a certified firearms instructor, which, of course, is of great concern to a lot of people because he knows, obviously, how to use a gun. He's not just a regular nut that does mass shootings or a regular evil person. He is a knowledgeable firearms expert. According to Maine State uh, Police, there is also concern that he has the ability to monitor police movements, meaning he may have a radio he may have some sort of a uh, you know some sort of an ability to follow police communications as they hunt for him which of course allows him to stay ahead of the you know a step ahead so i'm watching this very very closely because i would if it was in louisiana or texas or california or colorado i don't care it's happening and i'm watching and i'm concerned all of the typical um, storylines are a part of this. People are wondering immediately, was he supportive of a political cause? Is he an extremist of some way politically? People are wondering, is he conservative or liberal? Who's he mad at and why? Is he religiously motivated? Is he supportive of Hamas? Uh, all of these regular questions, gun rights, you know, this is why we have to get rid of the Second Amendment. We have to have more gun control. All of the standard topics rise to the surface this morning after this went on last night and now is continuing to be a developing story because he has not yet been caught. So I'd be paying attention to that for those reasons alone. We'd be talking about this this morning. But what did I mean when I said this is personal but not personal to me? I'll tell you what I meant. One year ago, right now, in other words, last November right prior to the holidays, my daughter had made up her mind on what law school she was going to attend. She had been applied to and been accepted by nine law schools. She applied to eight of them in the South, because that's where she said she wants to raise a family. 
She wants to eventually, you know, graduate from law school, open up a practice, or join a firm in the South. And so she applied at Florida State and at Georgia and at Tennessee and at South Carolina and what else down there? Emory, I think, which was a very bad decision when she learned more about that law school. Um, trying to remember, there were, like I said, there were eight of them were in the South, and one was way up north. She applied to the University of Maine. And after examining all of the pros and cons of all of the different schools that she had been accepted accepted to attend, last year at this time, right in, like I said, it's late late October now, but it was in November, she decided, I'm going to Maine. My daughter has Maine coffee mugs right now. We got them for for Christmas. She has Maine sweatshirts now. She has a whole bunch of stuff because she was all but signed, sealed, and delivered to Maine. You want to know where the University of Maine Law School is? It's in Portland, 30 miles away from Lewiston, and right now there is an active shooter on the loose in that area. Today, kindergartens, elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, and colleges throughout that area are on shelter-in-place lockdown orders. Any place where large crowds may gather, is they're being closed today. Last night when I saw where this was going on, my, I looked at my wife and we looked at each other and I texted my daughter, who is by the grace of God not in Portland, Maine. And I texted her and I said, I've never been so glad for you to be in Tennessee. Because that's what she chose is the University of Tennessee at Knoxville. She's a volunteer now, and so am I, uh, by extension. And she said, why? And I said, turn on your TV. Because she was doing what law students do 20 hours a day, reading. She turned on her TV and said, oh, my gosh. And, uh, yeah, that is where she would be right now. As a matter of fact, the apartment that she had picked out when she was going to go to Maine was about 30 miles north. I kid you not. I don't think it was Lewiston. It was a small town, but it was about 30 minutes north of campus because it's very expensive up there. The cost of living, for whatever reason, in Portland, Maine, is through the roof. To get a place near the, near the law school was going to be unaffordable. But um, I said to my daughter, Jaden, I said, thank God you are in Tennessee. And she said, I am glad I am here, too, or else we would be flipping. My wife and I probably would have been in the car overnight driving north. Uh, just to to be there and and to make sure she's okay. I mean, why am I bringing this up? Because she's not there. I'm bringing this up because I want all of us to have a little bit of perspective. Sometimes when bad things happen to other people, we think we have compassion and empathy. We think we say, oh my gosh, uh, I feel so bad for those people. And then we turn the page and say, did the Cavs win last night? Or whatever. And I'm just telling you, when it could be your love. It's kind of like when we, what we've been saying for the last three weeks to um, Northeast Ohio Jewish listeners and people around the country have been doing this on programs like mine. They've got family in Israel. They've got family in Jerusalem, family in Tel Aviv, which is now being targeted this morning. And how can you possibly understand what they're going through wondering if their loved ones are safe? You can't. But this makes you, because like I said, this was a, an, an almost situation for me with, with Portland, Maine, with my daughter. I am taking it a lot more to heart. I'm taking a lot longer time to turn the page, to see what the sports section looks like, or to move to another topic of conversation for talk radio. 
or whatever. Um, these traumatic situations are beyond just news stories for many. It was almost, like I said, one that was much more personal for me. So it's personal because of the almost factor. It's not personal because she's, uh, you know, a thousand miles or so away down in, uh, down in Tennessee. But we are going to watch this very, very closely. We, of course, will take and have discussions on, uh, on this matter uh, with respect to the other topics, like I said, gun control and ideology. Is there a manifesto? What is his motivation? What about the aspect of mental illness um, affects this? I don't, I don't know a ton about mental illness, other than there is a preponderance of it right now going through by way of social contagion in this country for matters of things like sex and gender and things of that nature. I know that PTSD is a very legitimate and real threat for a lot of people, particularly those who come home from war or from uh, for whom um, you know they have to endure situations like the one in Maine right now, police officers involved in shooting events and those kinds of things. But beyond that, mental illness is um, it's very deep and complex. And it brings up one of the issues, you know, the idea of red flag laws. This guy, this guy, Robert Card, has been a member of the U.S. Army Reserves, like I said, for about 20 years. He's a firearms instructor. And this, this Seth, what did you find out? He was, um, he was actually institutionalized earlier this year. He spent, that... he spent two weeks, according to everything that I saw, two weeks at a mental institution over the summer. Two weeks at a voluntary commitment? Did he go I, I, in or did somebody drag him there, a family member drag him there, kicking and screaming and saying, you need help? I'll look more into that. I just heard what you know, they reported yeah. was he was in a mental institution for two weeks over the summer. Yeah. And, and you know, that's going to light a fire under the uh, red flag law people. The people are saying anybody who's got that kind of history shouldn't be allowed to buy a gun. Well, there was a debate going on because I guess one agency knew that there was a problem here, why wasn't it reported to another agency? These agencies are not talking to each other. What are these agencies? What are we talking uh, about? One of them was the FBI, and then I think another one was the, the mental institution place. But they, they knew that this guy had problems. Mm-hmm. And nobody communicated as far as this guy shouldn't be owning guns, this guy shouldn't be on the streets, really. Right, right. Well, and that's, you know, we're going to have to find more out about that because if he was institutionalized... For two weeks and released is that because there is a mandatory length of time someone can be committed and they had to let him go or was he pronounced healthy mentally stable and allowed to leave that place and then of course maybe had a relapse or a setback in his you know condition or whatever that may have led to this i don't know there's a lot of questions there and we will address them uh the best that we can um, we've got one guest coming today for sure. That's Dr. Everett Piper at 1010. Um, we may have a guest in the 11 o'clock hour in our studio. We are waiting to confirm that. I will let you know about it if and when that opportunity does arrive. Before we do anything else, friends, let's go ahead and uh, pay tribute to this great country and the freedoms that we do have within it. Let's do our Pledge of Allegiance. Patriots, stand, if you would please. Face your flag. Put your hand on your heart. Say a little prayer, by the way, for the families uh, who are uh, right now just suffering and terrified about what's going on up in, uh, up in uh, the Portland, Maine, Lewiston, Maine area. Uh, like I said, I was almost a family member wondering, oh my gosh, is my little girl okay? So say a little prayer for those who are wondering that. And join us for this pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag 
of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. That's a heck of a table I just set for you. Uh, choose what you want to eat from and dial us. 216. We have an open uh, half-hour cup. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. So there are obviously a lot of active situations going on right now, not the least of which, of course, is the active shooter situation in Lewiston, Maine, from last night. Um, we also have a new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, from Louisiana, was uh, was uh, chosen and finally got the necessary votes. In fact, every Republican in the uh, conference voted for him yesterday, so there's a new Speaker. We can talk about that. Israel has started some semblance of a ground campaign after a couple of weeks of select airstrikes uh they have started a ground campaign in uh, gaza and we can talk about that but of course so much of our attention continues to be on the because it's ongoing this isn't an aftermath situation yet on the um situation in uh in lewiston maine which again is just north of portland we don't know he could be in portland he could be uh, he could be in another state by now because he's been on the run since last night and uh um, no one really knows at this particular point where he is. They just know who who he was or who he is. I should say Robert Card is the suspect's name, or at least the person of interest. And Seth, you were just pointing out um, some really alarming things about the guy, Robert R. Card of Bo- uh, Bodoin. Is that how you say that? Bodine, Maine. Um, you said he spent some time in a mental institution, but you got more on that. Uh, yes, this uh, report is from 20 minutes ago. The document circulated to law enforcement uh, said he had been committed to a mental health facility for two weeks in the summer of 2023. It did not provide details about his treatment or condition, but said Card had reported hearing voices and threats to shoot up a military base. And we don't know when that was? Uh, summer of 2023. No, I know no. he was committed then, but like... Were the were the voices and the threats things while he was there, that's why or that was, led up to him, or is that more recent? I think that's why he was there. That's why he was committed. Up to him being committed. See, and that's the thing. You know, you have to talk about um, involuntary commitments. The, the, that's a big deal. This is you know, it's very easy for those on the you know uh, red flag laws. You know, nobody who's you know got a mental com- uh, condition should be allowed to have a gun. Um, and there's some truth to that. But the question is, is, how do you get there to somebody with a mental condition that is one that potentially poses a threat to others? And then involuntary commitments take that to another degree. Did family members or friends drag him to be committed because they heard him talking about hearing voices and making threats to shoot up a military base as a military man himself um, in the uh, in the Army Reserve, according to what they're saying right now. Um, if somebody is involuntarily committed, I think, and I just could be making this up, but I think in an involuntary commitment, there's a mandatory length of time, you know, it, before which somebody has to be released. You can't hold somebody against their will involuntarily forever for an indefinite period of time. I think there's like a a limitation about how long they can be kept in a situation like that. And so was he released 
from a mental institution after threatening to shoot up a military base and hearing voices, was he released because his time was up or because somebody pronounced him healthy? And in either case, should somebody like that be allowed to, uh, to, to buy a gun? Or, in this circumstance, he's a firearms instructor. I'm sure he had plenty of guns before having what may have been a mental breakdown. And then can somebody go in and say, well, this guy used to be in his right mind, and it's fine for him to have a Second Amendment right to own and, you know, and bear arms, but now he's got mental problems. We get to go in and snatch those up from him. Now we have real serious questions about, I mean, first of all, HIPAA laws. Second of all, um, you know, search and seizure. Second Amendment issues, Fourth Amendment issues. I mean, there's so many different elements to this, and we don't know any of those things right now. That's what makes this so hard to piece together. What you got, Seth? Uh, the Bolton also says that Card recently reported mental health issues. He were so self-reported. It says that he reported mental health issues, hearing voices and threats to shoot up the National Guard base in Saco, Maine. Okay. Well, that's another element of this. Um, the bowling alley and the bar that he chose to target as he went in with his, uh, I don't know what he's got, what kind of weapon he's got there. It's solely from a picture. But it it looks like an automatic with a long with a, with a very large clip, which of course is very very different than an AR-15. Everybody likes you. AR-15 is an assault. No, it's not. It's not an assault weapon because there's no actual definition of assault weapon. AR-15s are no different than handguns. One round fired for every pull of the trigger. Automatics, of course, can fire off multiple rounds just by holding the trigger down. It just looks like an automatic weapon, but I don't have any evidence of that other than I'm just it's. And the pictures are from videos. So they're not clear, they're pixelated. So I don't know what he's holding, but it just looks like um, it looks like a military-grade weapon, not an AR-15 that the left and the anti-Second Amendment folks like to call um, military-style weapons or military-grade weapons or what have you. Uh, Card is reported as armed and dangerous. Mental health issues, like you just talked about, and more. Uh, so, so residents in Lewiston and, like I said, schools in the entire area um, in and around Portland, Maine, and all the way out to that thirty-mile, uh, uh, thirty-mile away uh, location of Lewiston, they're all on shelter-in-place orders, and to being people are being told stay inside your homes with your doors locked. And certainly, they're going to avoid crowded areas like schools. That's why they're closed. Any place with large crowds, of course, are going to be. Attractive. What I want to know too, Seth. I did. I heard this this morning before we did our show or started our show. I heard one report that said um, not only did he shoot up the people in the bar and in the bowling alley that he targeted, but he was believed to have been potentially monitoring the hospitals where those people were were taken, so that the ones that he only wounded and didn't kill, he could finish them off. There was video last night of the cops actually going up a, a garage next to the hospital right there, and one of the guards inside the hospital told everybody to get down and duck, but then that kind of quieted down after a little while, but you saw them actually going up with guns drawn in the garage. Next to the for, hospital. Because there was a report of that. Yeah, yeah I wonder what that, I mean. But then there was also reports that he shot up a Walmart facility, which ended up Which not was not true. true. Uh, right. That was that was false information One or fake news. One said he was a, sec- a sexual predator, like a pedophile, and that was not true. 
I mean, there were so many non-true things going on last night. It was yeah. unbelievable. Well, people people get on social media hearing a rumor, one rumor, and then they go on there and say, he shot up a Walmart. And that takes thousands of other people who sit in and say, oh, he shot up a Walmart. Uh, sexual predator. Hamas linked. People people hear one thing or maybe imagine one thing, or maybe they're just a-holes who, who, who don't mind causing havoc, and they make things up, and they go online with it, and then other people see it, and they don't know what's true from what's not. There was like a, What I saw was a, like a, literally a fake Twitter account, X account, whatever, that showed all these hashtags of Israel and Hamas, and, and none of it was true. No, of course it's not, but people like to, uh, like I said, sow cha- uh, chaos and, uh, and wreak havoc. But I, that, that part about the fact that is true is that he was, you know, spotted uh, near the hospital or in the parking garage by the hospital or whatever. Um, I, like I said, I heard that this morning as well, and I'm thinking, is there a personal thing here, or are these all strangers? Because if he shot up a bar in a restaurant and killed a bunch, 22, I think at last count, yeah. and wounded 30, He's going to the hospital to shoot at the same people he already shot. It makes you wonder, is there a particular grudge there for some reason? Well, then there was also a report last night because he went to the bowling alley, which was funny. They kept saying a supposed bowling alley when the picture shows bowling balls, lockers, and pins on the door. Uh, But they said there was a league going on that night, and they were wondering if maybe there was something going on. He was targeting that particular league. I right. guess he was divorced and stuff a couple of times. Yeah. One woman, according to one report, right. had a uh, restraining order against him. So there were leagues going on at the time. Yeah, these are all valid questions, obviously. You just uh, you know, We're just waiting to, to get some answers. Uh, maybe it was. Maybe this league, he knew the people or something. But again, he had, a court, according to what you reported earlier, um, threatened to shoot up not a bowling alley but a military base, and he has military experience. He is an army reservist, or has been an army reservist, in addition to being a firearms instructor. So I wonder why you go from military, and I'll tell you why. I mean, th- now this is I'm being one of those people, but I'm not going online now. This is just I'm saying it. It's my suspicion. The reason he didn't go and do what he had threatened to do, which is to shoot up a military base, is because why? What do you find at military bases usually? Uh, guns, guns, and people are going to shoot back. Yeah. And generally, it's a it's an almost universal truth. Mass shooters really like shooting other people they don't like being shot at. Soft targets. Yeah, and that's why um, you know. Again, uh, I'll, I'll I'll launch the argument, the pro Second Amendment argument. Every mass shooting in history has ended when the presence of guns is made, whether. A mass shooter is shot and killed by somebody who arrives with a gun, or the person sees the another person with a gun and they don't like being shot at, so they drop theirs and they surrender, or they flee, which this guy did. The threats always end when guns arrive, which is why everybody says guns are the cause of all of the evil, the cause of the death. Guns are also the cause of the ending of those slaughters. Guns are what save lives. I don't mean to be overly simplistic about that, but I think it is overly simple. Um, this isn't the gun. We have to figure out about the guy. We have to figure out what drove and 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 allowed this circumstances to get circumstance to get where it is. Diane is uh, calling from West Park. Let's bring Diane up and on the air. Uh, Diane, go right ahead. You have a thought on the mass shooting? Yes, I did, Bob. Um, I just wonder what what do you think the chances are this guy is on some kind of drugs for his mental health, and uh, what might be even causing the voices in his head and the aggression and the um you know just his general being a sense of 
Health, yeah, his antisocial, antisocial personality and those things. You, you, you won't believe this, Diane, and Seth won't believe this. But when Seth and I spoke this morning about this, I, I almost used the letters, but I didn't. But I'm being honest with you here. I almost used the letters SSRI. I want to know the same thing. Is he on any of the psychotropic drugs, the SSRIs, that are commonly taken for depression and anxiety and other things that many people believe are absolutely warping the minds of the users? Um, so I well, thought I the same so. thing you did. Well, since he was mentally, uh, I mean, since he was in a mental institution, well, what do they rely on? What do they put people on? I mean, you don't walk out of a hospital, an urgent care center, without some kind of drugs. I mean, he's not going to walk out of a mental health institution without drugs. And um, you're right. And and then and, and, and maybe and you know and maybe maybe those particular drugs were the right prescription for him, and they helped him uh, helped keep him balanced. And maybe then he went off of them, and here he goes. Or maybe the drugs he was put on caused some of the you know voices to be heard and so forth again there are a lot of studies and a lot of medical and psychological and psychiatric experts who uh, say that the ssri drugs that are being commonly over prescribed for people are very dangerous and they actually cause some of these delusions and um, you know mental instabilities that we see well i think we've haven't we heard that from some of the other mass shooters that they were on drugs and it was you know it, it really gave them their aggressiveness yeah. And Bob, just one more comment before mm-hmm. uh, I go. Mm-hmm. God bless Mike Johnson and God help him in his new role. I think we've got a real uh, appointed, anointed person in there for a time such as this. Well, I'm hoping you're right, and uh, God bless indeed. I'm crossing my fingers with one hand and doing the sign of the cross with the other and hoping that that is indeed what happens. Thank you for the call, uh, Diane. I appreciate it. By the way, just as an aside, I, I don't know how this is going to work out. I do like Mike Johnson. He's not Jim Jordan, but I do like Mike Johnson. Um, I still question whether it's going to make a lick of difference solely because we still have a, a five-seat majority. We still have a razor-thin majority in getting all of the moderates to go along with whatever he as speaker wants to perhaps push and promote with respect to um spending bills and appropriations and aid packages and so on and so forth, whether he's going to be able to unite all of the Republicans to do what he wants to do and then barely beat the Democrats in a, you know, in a, in a partisan vote on some of these issues. Um, it, that's in question. And then even if they do, again, it goes to the Senate, which is controlled by the Democrats. Is it going to, you know, is it going to make a lick of difference? Does that mean we should have just kept Kevin McCarthy there? I guess time will tell, but that was my original feeling because no speaker. And McCarthy was a good fundraiser. Huge. The the Speaker of the House has to be a huge fundraising machine for keeping the majority to make sure that money is there for all of these other very important races for uh, current uh, uh, Republican officeholders in the in the House and for perspectives to come and take seats away from Democrats. It's a huge thing. Mike Johnson is not necessarily, according to reports, a good fundraiser. Kevin McCarthy was uh, and is. So is this going to work out? My fingers are crossed, as I said, and I've made my sign of the cross. I'm going to pray that it is. Um, you know, that it is the way to go. I just wonder whether or not, again, I keep using the same overused cliche, but I hope the juice we get out of this is worth the squeeze that we just went through. That's all I'll say for now. Um, James is in Cleveland. Hi, James. Thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go ahead. How are you doing, Bob? I um, 
just kind of concerned about this whole shooting thing and it being the latest, you know, false flag I've heard uh, weeks ago on other podcasts about how they were going to use mental health as a tool for MAGA people who disagree with them. And um, unfortunately, uh, I don't trust this government. I wouldn't put it past them. So I'm not jumping into this whole shooting thing with both feet at this point. I don't. Uh, hold on a second, James. I don't. Just I, I don't trust this government any more than you do. But I also don't know that I understood what the point you just made. Could could, could you well, explain I, that a little more? Yeah, I heard I heard on a, another podcast mm-hmm. where they were talking about using mental health as a reason to kind of lock people up who disagree with them. So you mentioned you mentioned they, MAGA. So you're saying the left was going to use mental health to lock up MAGA people? Is that is that what you you meant? Yes, because I heard okay. this, this report soon after they had basically labeled MAGA as you know domestic terrorists. Got it. And they said that okay. they said that they were going to basically use mental health as an excuse to lock you up because you know you don't agree with them, mm-hmm. and once you're locked up, that's it. You're you're mm-hmm. not getting out until the state says you can be released. Okay. That's a very that's a very fair question to ask. Then uh, I didn't quite understand exactly where you were going with it, but now I get it. And I'll say this, and thank you for the call, James. I'll say this in response to it, though. <sighs> there has to be an ability for people who are mentally unstable. I don't, I'll, I'll avoid using this the the crutch term of insane, but mentally unstable who do pose threats to other people. There has to be a means for getting them help to protect other people. If you know somebody in, a, in your family, and we're not just talking about somebody who's depressed because they got divorced or their dog died. Talking about people who have legitimate mental health issues that make them potentially a danger to other people. They're threatening to shoot people. Maybe they're even doing self-harm. They're cutting. They're, 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 they're you know threatening to, threatening to do worse things to themselves. Bizarre and erratic behavior, we have to have the ability somehow, some way, to involuntarily commit these people to psychiatric care, whether it's inpatient or not is another story, you know, where they have to be residential and thus, quote-unquote, committed the way this guy allegedly was. There has to be an ability for people who are around other people that they know and that they care about and realize they're dangerous to others to, to try to get them help that they need. And that might mean involuntary um, you know, commitment to, to various facilities. But you're right. The danger then becomes who can make that judgment and say to the state or say to facilities that are contracting with the state that this guy's crazy, this guy's a nut, he's dangerous because he's, you know, anti-trans. Well, he's going to end up hurting kids. Uh, you know, this guy is, this guy's a danger because he, um, you know, believes in the Second Amendment, and he owns 15 guns. You know, therefore, he and he tr- supports Trump. And we all know that Trump is crazy, so therefore, he's got a MAGA shirt and, a, and an AR. Therefore, we got to lock him up to deprogram him from that stuff. Hillary Clinton, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, Hillary Clinton actually, in a speech, talked about the need at the government level to deprogram people from being Trump supporters. So if... 
they can, and this is the point he was making, and from the other program he said he was listening to, if they can declare somebody who has a political view that is dis- different from theirs, and who has been called by the FBI a potential threat as a domestic terrorist or extremist, which of course gets into very other areas as well, didn't it? Didn't the FBI, Jim Jordan and I have talked about this on multiple ca- occasions, didn't the FBI like six months ago declare that? Um, Catholics who are traditional Catholics set that if you go to Latin masses, the traditional Catholics who go to Latin masses should be considered dangerous. Yes, should be considered extremists or something of that nature. Yes. my gosh! So now this is the crossover here. We go crossover from being legitimately concerned about someone who is a threat to using political agendas to declare somebody else to be a threat that is not simply because they go to Catholic Mass, they go to school board meetings and complain, they don't want boys in girls' locker rooms and boys on girls' sports teams, um, and they own firearms, and they're second of all, oh, that's a toxic mix right there. That person needs to go in and be officially governmentally deprogrammed, the way Hillary Clinton said. Now we're in a very dangerous place. There has to be a place for legitimately sick, dangerous people who can harm other people to get help and to be maybe even involuntarily committed to that help without violating, you know, like I said, everybody else's rights to have their own opinions and, and to own guns at the same, same time here. They're creating a situation where the two things cannot coexist, where, where medical and psychiatric help is available and is appropriate for some, but they cannot be forced upon others for whom it is not appropriate but are victims of uh, a political agenda. It's crazy to think about. Um, do we have time for one more before the top here? Let's let me let me because I got Dr. Piper after the top. Let me talk to Dave in Cleveland, uh, even if we're a little late here. Dave, I don't have a lot of time, but I'm going to give it to you. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, quickly. Um, here's a doctor, uh, Peter Bregan, is a specialist on uh, psychopharmacology. He's a uh, medical doctor. He's got a Harvard and Case Western degrees. What's his name? And. His name's Peter Bregan, B-R-E-G-G-I-N. You'll see a lot of books on him. He's okay. a specialist in it. They use him, like, in the uh, roar shootings and that. And he said in an interview, like, roar shootings, he's been several of them. They use him as an expert witness. And every one of them had some kind of, um, you know, uh, a cycle, you know, some kind of drug involvement that was ca- cause of the problem. He said they either took him off wrong or they put him on. And um, one thing he said was a lot of these psychiatrists are real lazy and a lot of his colleagues, and they just give these people drugs. He says he never did in 30 years. He just would always, you know, take time with them. Yeah. But these other people just give them drugs right away. But, yeah. Um, yeah, if you look at some of his books, he's a specialist in this, you know, these people getting on these drugs and doing uh, crazy things. Yeah, these are the these are those new SSRIs, again, and you're right. They're overprescribed. There have been a lot of, and thank you for the call and for the tip on Peter Bregan. I have him pulled up now that you gave me his name. He's uh, He's 87, by the way, so he's been at this for a very, very, very long time. Uh, but but yes, uh, a lot of medical professionals have talked about the overprescribing of these SSRIs to deal with uh, depression and anxiety and so forth, and the long-term effect on the brains, of, especially of young males who are pre-formative, you know, frontal lobes in their you know in their late teens and in their in their early twenties. I mean, many of them don't develop fully. You know, their brains don't develop fully until they're around 26, 27 years of age. What those SSRIs are doing to those brains at a very young age, that is a legitimate concern, and I'm sure Bragan is talking about that, too. But um, so many people are lazy, too lazy to, to actually get in and do the work, so they say, here, take this. It'll make you feel better, and away we go. 
you and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. All right, hour number two on this Thursday is underway now. Seven minutes past 10 o'clock on the 26th morning of the 10th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. Really appreciate you being with us. So we'll give you more as we get it, uh, information um, on the manhunt for a killer in uh, Maine, around the Portland, Maine area. Lewiston is about 30 miles north. We covered some of that earlier, talking about some of the mental health issues, talking about gun, gun rights issues, talking about motivations and more. So uh, if we get any breaking news on that, we will let you know. Meantime, we're going to continue with our conversations, including our regular Thursday commentator, our good friend, Dr. Everett Piper. Dr. Piper is a former university president. You probably already know. He's a best-selling author. You probably already know. He is a podcast radio host called The Rebellion. You probably already know. He's a columnist with The Washington Times, which you probably already know. What you may not know is he also is a public servant. He's a county commissioner in Osage County, Oklahoma. Dr. Piper, good to have you back this morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Bob. Thanks for having me on. So a couple of great, great columns in The Washington Times this week I'm going to ask you about. But before we do that, um, you know, we're trying to figure out, and we don't know all the details, obviously, um, about this shooter in uh, in Maine, but but you know we're we're talking about the rise of anger mixed perhaps with emotional disturbances disturbances or psychological disturbances, and how much these things can possibly be affected by psychotropic drugs, uh, SSRIs as they are called. This is all speculative at this moment in time, but we got a forty-year-old military uh, uh, experienced man, he's an army reservist, a certified firearms instructor who, sp- uh, instructor who spent two weeks in a mental institution earlier this summer and was heard to be uh, proclaiming that he hears voices and that he was threatening up to shoot up a military base. So that's a lot of information just to kind of maybe ask for your thoughts on all of these things and and how as a nation we can deal without infringing upon everybody's civil rights and human rights and American rights, how we can try to get this massive epidemic of mass shootings under control. Now, um, I've said over and over again, every time one of these stories hits the news, it's not the instrument that the person holds in his hand. It's the ideas he holds in his heart. You can take away the gun and he'll use a sword. You can take away the sword, and they'll use a knife. You can take away the knife, and they'll use a rock. As as long as human history, as a recorded human history, we know from the story of Cain and Abel that people do bad things. They, they, they are violent. We know that the story of Noah in the Bible was precipitated by violence. Why did God exercised such great judgment on his creation in the story, excuse me, Noah and the Ark and the Flood. It was because of violence. It was because of the evil that one man held toward another. So it's not the instrument. It's the ideas. It's the soul. Uh, you can outlaw guns. It's not going to stop. They'll use a car to drive through a crowd. They'll use a sword. Hamas will cut off your head with a sword. I mean, it's it's in the human heart, and without the redemption that we find in Christ, without the forgiveness that we find 
within the Christian faith, within the Judeo-Christian ethic, we are broken human beings, and it's going to continue to perpetuate itself. But I'm going to, I'm going to go down a different trail here as we're okay. on this story. Okay. I'm going to ask you this question. I don't know if anybody else has asked this yet. Maybe you've dealt with it. I didn't listen to the preceding hour of your show. Mm-hmm. But what's the difference between this guy in Maine and Hamas? I mean, everybody agrees that this guy in Maine is evil. He's out shooting people. This is a moral, this is unequivocally, objectively, morally wrong. He went into uh, a bowling alley and started shooting kids. What's the difference between him doing that and Hamas going into a music festival in Israel and shooting a bunch of young people that were celebrating peace at a music festival? The, the, the lack of ability on the left's part to see that the actions of Hamas in Israel are no different morally than the actions of this deranged person in Maine, in the United States, just amazes me that we can't see the moral parallels between butchering Israelis at a music festival and butchering young people at a bowling alley in Maine. It's the same thing. It's wrong. And we have to be able to identify evil as evil, otherwise we can never fight it. I um, I, I might disagree slightly um not with the idea of evil being evil you're right but i i I might when the when the evil is driven by ideology and or religion which is of course what's going on in hamas where they're taught from the moment they're born to hate israel they're taught talking about palestinians who grow up to become hamas terrorists they're taught to want to kill jews um because it's part of their faith and a part of their ideology, I think that's more intrinsically evil than somebody that may have had a psychological breakdown that allowed the evil that, that may exist in their heart, as you just described, to carry out awful acts. Because um, one seems more intentional than the other. Um, so if anything, the you know the horrors perpetrated on those people in Maine, just like every other mass shooting that we have had here, I agree, evil exists in the heart, but if there is a mental defect, just like people can be born with or develop physical ailments, there can be mental ailments that explain some of the reasons for the evil getting out as opposed to, you know, the God of the Palestinians commands them to die for him. The God uh, of Christians willingly died for us. Um, and, And there's a big difference there, I think, between the two. Well... Well, well said, and I and I don't uh, disagree with you. If a person is officially diagnosed with schizophrenia or some sort of debilitating mental illness, yeah, and I, I don't know, I don't know if anybody knows yet what this guy's official diagnosis is. And I, frankly, I'm a gun rights advocate to the hilt. I have the right to carry in the courthouse in Pahuska, Oklahoma, because I'm a county commissioner. I can carry it on my hip. I can open carry uh, like the Wild West out here. And frankly, I feel more safe when I'm a bunch of when I'm around a bunch of ranchers open carrying than I probably would feel in uh, in your neck of the woods. So I'm a big proponent of the Second Amendment. However, if you've been diagnosed, diagnosed, excuse me, diagnosed with a mental illness um, that's severe enough to hinder your capacity to even assess reality, you shouldn't have a gun. I I just don't think you should. I think I think that's that's not what the Second Amendment guarantees us. So I have to ask the question: Where were the officials in confronting this man? If indeed days earlier, weeks earlier, months earlier, he was diagnosed with 
such a disease, if indeed that's true. Well, and you know, the, the, unknown, the unknown part of that, Dr. Piper, is, of course, why he was let out. Was he involuntarily committed? And, and as such, I think, and I, I'm, I'm guessing here, but I think that if you have an unvo- involuntary commitment to a facility, they can only hold you for so long. They can't keep somebody there indefinitely against their will unless they agree they have a problem and they're seeking help. So, so when they let him go, it was either because they couldn't hold him any longer or they pronounced him healthy. They pronounced him ba- stable now. His, his, his issues, his voices he heard or whatever it is that led to that commitment one way or the other, one way or the other was, was no longer a threat. And, and obviously that was not the case here. So I don't, I don't know how that works in terms of how much help somebody can get before they have to surrender their rights. Yeah, I, I don't know either. Um, and, you know, one of my degrees is in psychology, so I know enough about this particular discussion to be dangerous. Um, and here's the concern I have with my own industry and my own academic discipline. We're coming to the point where we're de- dumbing down the definition of insanity to the point where we include people with religious conviction. In the minds of some people on the left, the far left, you're insane because you're a conservative Catholic. I'm insane because I'm a conservative evangelical, because it's, you're, you're, you're out of touch with reality. Your belief system, by definition, um, is, is putting you in a category where they can take your gun away. Now, if we get into that discussion about taking Second Amendment rights away from people because the industry, the American Psychological Association, or the industry as a whole shifts in that direction and the diagnostic statistics manual for insanity starts including religious belief, which some are arguing it should. And I'm not exaggerating that. That's not hyperbole. It bothers me to watch this movement within my own profession. I'm probably muddying the waters in this conversation. I don't think that's the case with this man. I do believe if somebody's been officially diagnosed with a disease that puts them out of touch with reality, like schizophrenia, I don't think that they should be allowed to have a gun any longer because they're dangerous. And I don't think that's a compromise of the Second Amendment whatsoever. And at that point in time, you need to put the the culpability back on law enforcement and the political establishment for not doing something about these people. And then we could spend another two shows on the issue of legalizing drugs because I think you're on to something there. Because in Oklahoma... I mean, we've, you've, got a, you've got a marijuana grow house on every corner in my county here in Oklahoma. And if you don't think that's having an effect on the mental stability of our population, you're crazy. You just don't understand what's going on in terms of marijuana use and other drug use that follows with that. Yeah, I, I, I would concur uh, and, and agree with every bit of that. I, I, I want to ask this part of it, though. If we can say... And, and this goes specifically back to your very original point at the start of your commentary here, which is that there is no difference between a shooter like this with the evil in his heart in Maine and Hezbollah and Hamas uh, committing the mass murders and atrocities they are over in Israel. Um, if someone is in a, and that they should not have a gun, it's, uh, the, the individuals because of their mental mental illnesses and and and, and the evil and so forth. Um, let's combine them. What about American adults, college students who are all 18 years and over or almost all, I mean, maybe an occasional 17 year old who's a freshman, but adults who have a right to carry a gun to own and bear firearms, but who are pro Hamas, um, students who are leading the Palestinian protests and demonstrations and rallies and the death to Israel, death to America chants and so forth. They, they are not 
identified as being psychologically impaired or emotionally, you know, damaged in some way to the point where they might be, you know, a danger. You just said those some of those types of people should not own a gun. Should American college students who are pro Hamas, particularly if they happen to be foreign born, uh, and they're out here on visas, should they be allowed to um, avail themselves of the Second Amendment rights like everybody else in this country? Well, uh, I may get on thin ice on this one. Frankly, I don't think if you're not, if you're in the United States and you're not a United States citizen, so if you're a college student with a visa but you're not a United States citizen, I don't think you have the constitutional right. I mean, you, you're a guest. You're not a citizen. So, you don't have the same rights in my book, and I and I so I, I if if you're not a citizen, no, you don't have the right to to, to do anything that we don't grant you the right to do as a guest because there's a difference between being a guest in our country and a citizen in our country. Um, if you've expressed express violent intent, before you go on with that, Doctor Piper, I think there's an element to this that we probably should find an answer to. Because if you're a non-citizen, you can serve, I believe, in the United States military. And if you can serve in the U.S. military as a non-citizen, in which case, of course, you would be required to carry a firearm for your military service, you probably ought to be able to have one as a citizen or civilian who is a resident here as well. I mean, unless I'm wrong, and I might be, I think non-citizens who are here between the ages of 18 and 25, they still have to register for selective service if we bring back a draft. Non-citizens who live here are going to fight for us here, I think. Am I wrong? I, I, you may be. I, actually, I haven't done a lot of research on this recently. Okay. There may be truth to that. Like, mudding those waters in terms of citizens and guests, I think, is a problem in our country, by and large. So whether it's military service or whether it's a different aspect of this conversation, yeah. can we all agree that because of our open borders and the fact that we don't have any secure borders at, whatsoever any longer, we're letting people flood across our borders who have ill intent against the United States of America, and then we're going to turn around because they happen to get in a junior college and we're going to give them a gun? Ah, come on. But we've got to have a reasonable conversation about some of that kind of stuff and the difference between that person and somebody who is an official citizen of the United States and does have mm-hmm. the right to avail themselves of the Second Amendment. Yeah, and, and you're right. There are there are a lot of moving parts there that we would have, we would have to kind of figure out. But I'm just I'm just I don't know. I'm picturing somebody being an Israeli Jew who comes to the United States to live, and they're not citizens, but they are here legally as as Israelis, uh, and they're living there. And they see the rise of anti-Semitism. They see the attacks on Jews, and they're happening you know on campuses and in big cities and so forth everywhere. And they say. I love America. I want to be a part of America. I want to be an Israeli American. I'm not a citizen yet, but I am also worried about my safety and that of my family. Should that, just because of what's going on in the world right now, is the reason I'm using this as an example. Should that Israeli-born resident of the United States here on a visa be allowed to own a firearm to protect himself? Well, and good point. You're kind of getting into some of my concerns that I've expressed in one of my articles for the week where I start quoting the Black Lives Matter and the left in terms of their vitriol and their hatred and their racism and their classicism. And it, are, do we feel comfortable when people start saying that white people uh, have a genetic defect? Uh, they're, they're, they're not, they're, they lack humanness. And I'm quoting your Sarah Kogali right now, co-founder of Black Lives Matter in Toronto. She says, black people simply through their dominant genes can literally wipe out the white race if we have the power to do so. Please, Allah, she prays, give me the strength not to kill these white folks out here today. 
Okay, so we have people like this in the Western world. This is this person is Toronto, not the United States. But then we have Nick Cannon. <laughs> America has got count that says uh, white people are closer to animals. They lack compassion. Melanin comes with compassion. Melanin comes with soul. Melanin connects us. So the people that don't have it, and I'm going to say this very carefully, are less, are a little less. That's Nick Cannon. So you've got some very racist, and I could go on, as you know, in this article, don't have time right now, but we've got some very racist and classist things where people are saying that, well, capitalists are going to be the first ones to be lined up against the wall and shot in the revolution, and I'll be happy to provide video commentary. That was actually said by, who was it that said that? That was the former chief uh, executive of Twitter, Dick Costello. That's a quote of his. And, you know, one of the things that I, I really see happening in our culture is this um, uh, fight against colonialism. It's the exact same language that's coming out of Gaza right now. If you're accused of being a colonialist, then apparently it's justified to go into your neighborhood, shoot you, uh, and cut off your kid's head because you're guilty of the evil of colonialism. Well, how do you think the United States of America got established? How did Canada come into existence? If colonialism justifies this evil, then, again, I'm going to go back to my original point. I'm not sure how that type of insanity is all that much different than any other type of insanity when it comes to people taking up arms and killing those they disagree with. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And by the way, your column um, uh, that I read yesterday on this is phenomenal, just filled with quotes. You read a few of them. There are so many more. People need to make sure that they read this. Uh, uh, the uh, column by Dr. Everett Piper in the Washington Times, you can probably just get it on his Twitter page. Follow Dr. Piper at Dr. Everett Piper. Um, and, and Dr. Piper, we didn't get a chance to get to uh, ask Dr. E. Um, I've got a hard Bottom of the hour break. Are you are you spoken for after the uh, ten thirty break? No, today I'm today I'm free. If you want to go longer, uh, I do. Take your break as you will. And I I'll do. Stick with you. Yeah, we ate up a lot of the time to talk about your work here um, with the conversation on what's going on in Maine, and uh, I would like to continue the conversation so we can get to the other stuff that you've written about, and also maybe a third topic as well. So I'm glad you're able to do that. We'll hold Doctor Everett Piper over past the bottom of the hour news. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, we continue now at uh, 33 minutes past the hour. Thanks for being with us. And thank you to Dr. Everett Piper, who has agreed to work overtime for us today. We already pay him so well, nothing. He's willing to put in more time for more of that nothing. And uh, that is greatly appreciated. Um Dr. Piper, before we continue on your column and your other column and another issue... Just to follow up on what you and I were talking about, I happened to glance at my Twitter feed during our break there, and um, there's an image of a what looks to be a Palestinian uh, ethnic person uh, uh, taking part in the New York University walkout yesterday, holding a sign advocating for the eradication of all Jews across the world. And so I'm thinking to myself about our previous conversation about Second Amendment rights, I don't think that person should have a right to own a gun. 
They believe in literally wiping out Jews across the world. And on the flip side, I believe that Jewish people here, whether they're American or not, particularly if they're here directly from Israel and are Israeli citizens, I think they ought to be able to arm themselves here. We've got a real problem on our hands, don't we? Well, we do. And uh, not to avoid, because uh, I mean, your, question, your ongoing question is, where do we draw the line on the Second Amendment with regard to people that live within the boundaries of the United States of America, whether they be citizen or whether they be guest? Really, that's your question. Um, we are going to have to start answering that question, because what we've done is we've trained up at least one generation, if not two, of American citizens and others to believe that the actions of Hamas, as they've been perpetrated against Israel over the last couple of weeks, are justified. Now, those actions include things that are just objective facts, like raping women, shooting uh, teenagers that are at a music concert, just randomly, because they are presumed to be Jews, so we're going to shoot them, chanting things like, gas the Jews. I think you saw it, everybody else saw it. There was a rally in Australia, and there were hundreds of people at the rally, and one of the chants was, gas the Jews. I mean, this is what we're dealing with right now. We've trained up a generation in the United States of America to respond to all of the news that I just reiterated and say, well, that's justified. That's justified. Really? It's justified to rape women. Really? It's justified to gas Jews. Really? It's justified to shoot people, people randomly at a music concert, and it's justified to behead babies. That's what we have in the United States right now. So if we think this these ideas that we've taught our progeny, those young people that are following in our steps, if we think these ideas aren't going to come home to roost, we're crazy. Ideas always have consequences, which is one of the points of my article. If you have trained people that march with BLM, when BLM itself is saying that it agrees with the eradication of Israel, it's one of its charter, it's one of the points in its charter. That's what they say. When you've got uh, Patrice Colors saying that the that the Palestinian effort and Hamas are justified. And then you've got thousands of United States citizens that are 18 to 24 years of age that are marching in the streets and saying that they think that cause is justified. Why in the world do you think it's going to stop with Israel? Why do you think it's going to stop in Gaza? It won't stop in Gaza, which is back to the point of my article. It will be in Galveston. It'll be in Texas before you know it, because... If Israel is evil because it's a colonializer, then so is the United States of America, because we were developed, what? Through colonialization. And if that is the one thing that justifies all of this violence, then it will be in our streets, too. How does that relate to the Second Amendment? Well, we're going to have to start asking ourselves, if people actually espouse that violence, and they say, we think it's okay to rape women, to be held children, if it, if, it, uh, is, if it is done in the name of anti-colonialization, then we have a problem in our own backyard. This is not just over there. It is right here. Yeah, there, there's no question about it. And um, the, the need and the desire for people to want to arm themselves to the hilt now, I, I think should be obvious and understood even by the most ardent anti-gun people, and here's why. There's a meme you probably saw floating around Twitter, uh, because you're very active on it and social media, uh, after October 7th, of the uh, paragliders coming in over the wall slash you know fence or whatever from Gaza into these communities in Israel where they uh, landed, 
and uh, proceeded to, you know, to, to commit all of the atrocities you just described. And, and the meme caption was uh, something to the effect of, tell me again why I wouldn't need so many rounds. Um, and that's, of course, a reference to Joe Biden saying, I do need all these, you know, high ca- ca- capacity and high caliber weapons. I mean, you know, the deer wearing Kevlar, how many times you need to shoot them? As if that's what guns are for, as, that, as if the Second Amendment is about hunting only or, or sports shooting. And the reason why is you don't know whether there's, there's going to be a dozen home intruders, home invaders. You don't know if there's going to be people paragliding in to commit these atrocities. And you think, well, that can't happen here. Well, yeah, and it never has happened here until it happens here. Um, and that's the reality of it. That's That's the part of this. And I know we're spending an awful lot of time on the Second Amendment here, but but that's the reality of it. We don't know from where the threat comes or what they are going to look like or how big they are going to be. That is why our founding fathers in their extraordinary, prescient, you know, beautiful minds, uh, you know, worded things the way that they did. Now, uh, here's the other side of the coin, though. And again, I, ho- I hope people... They, your listeners know you and your convictions of the Second Amendment, and they don't know me as well. So, but again, I'm a big Second Amendment guy. Um, but I think we're being played to some extent because let's get to your basic question. Your question, I think, as if, if I hear you correctly, you're asking: Should there be restrictions placed upon some people with regard to the Second Amendment if they have espoused a violent worldview such as that of Hamas? And I and I based that question on your premise earlier on that there is no difference between the crazed main shooter and Hamas uh, uh, murderers. But if we're if we're strident Second Amendment folks, we're probably going to say no. There should be no restrictions until somebody actually commits a violent act, or unless they demonstrate schizophrenia or whatnot. I've got a lot of friends out here in Oklahoma that would be very disappointed in me if they heard me suggest, well, maybe we need to have a discussion about limiting arms to those that have expressed a desire to violently overthrow the United States of America. Um, here's my point when I said I think we're being played. Okay. I think I think what's happening right now is the left is watching these various different and sundry competing uh, ideologies in the United States of America arm themselves. You've got Black Lives Matter advocates arming themselves to the hilt. You've got people that are pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas in the United States of America arming themselves to the hilt. And then you've got a lot of folks on your side and my side of the fence arming themselves to the hilt. If something does blow up, per se, metaphorically speaking or literally speaking, and people start going to battle, um, defending themselves, one group against the other, quote-unquote, do you think the United States government is going to remain silent in the midst of that? I think we're putting ourselves in a position. They want to see things blow up. They want, meaning the swamp, want to see the left, want to see things get violent so they can rush in Big Brother and take everything away and put everybody, everybody uh, neck under their boot. Uh, and we've got to be careful how we react to all of this stuff. Otherwise, we're playing into their Well, you're, you're 100% right. And, and going back to your column, you know, the headline, which I didn't read to people, is Woke Liberals aren't hiding their hatred anymore. And, of course, you include all of these quotes, some of which you have said on the air, um, indicating that hatred. And if, if I'm on the other side of that, I'm looking, you know, remember this, this, this left that we're talking about here are, are supposed to be the ones that stand for tolerance. 
and the ones that stand for, you know, unity and for acceptance or and for inclusion and so on and so forth. And yet they are the ones cr- scr- screaming and crying for violent acts to be taken uh, taken. Uh, against uh, against people with whom they disagree. They call them less than human, some of the quotes that you made. Dr. Piper, that is going to drive so many people who are in the center right all the way over to the right, and it's going to take people who are already there into a place where, bring it on, let's go. And it is, and I think that's kind of what you're saying about we're being played, it's going to drive us into a place where there cannot not be a civil war, a violent clash of ideas and ideals. If, if any of the right, if you could compile a list in a column like you just wrote of people on the right saying the same type of hateful things in, 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 in another direction, you know, against another race, against another ethnicity, against another ideology or ideologues, etc., um, um, it would be astounding. I don't think you're going to find it, unless it's coming from people like Richard Spencer or somebody like that. You're not going to find those things in traditional American conservatives, but you are finding it in traditional American leftists and liberals, and that's going to drive it up, I think, on the other side of the point where we're not going to have any choice. They're going to have brought about a civil war. And this isn't new. I mean, you can go to Russia, the Bolshevik Revolution. Okay, so there's there's violent overthrow. There's violent uprising against uh, a regime. And then what happens in the end? Big Brother comes in and crushes everybody and takes everybody's rights away. And because we don't respect the Constitution of the United States, and we certainly don't even know our Bibles any longer, we can't even talk about the concept of a just war theory any longer. Nobody even understands what it is. And that there's a huge difference between defending your children, your wives, your property, and your homeland, as opposed to um, Hamas launching thousands of rockets across your boundaries, into your homes, into your property. And when you rise up to defend it, that is that falls within the definition of a just war theory as defined by Augustine and Aquinas. Mm-hmm. But we don't even, I don't know what percentage, 90, 80%, 80, 90% of the American people don't even have a clue what just war theory even means. And that it is morally just to rise up and defend the innocent, to defend your homeland, to defend your property, and defend your wife and kids. There's nothing immoral about doing that. But because we don't understand it, we're falling into a trap right now where you've got those that embrace critical theory. Uh, they just keep stoking the fire, stoking the fire, stoking the fire. They want to get the explosion. They want it. They desire it. That is the point of critical theory. They want the crisis to come to a head so that they, the elite, the smarter than thou, big brother, big government, can come in and take everybody's rights away and remold culture, do a great reset, and we live in a different land in a different time and in a different place. And I would argue one that's not all that good. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, Dr. Piper, I want to take some of what we just said and tie it to your second column for the week, too, uh, which is the Ask Dr. E column. How do we get young adults to show greater respect to the older generations? You talked in much of what you just mentioned about you know, how we're training up this youngest generation in a certain kind of way. And you're exactly right. Very, very different. And maybe that's why we have questions like this one. Dear Dr. E, one of the problems I have with young people who work for me right now is what seems to be a knee-jerk dismissal of everyone and everything they label as old. It's as if they have no respect for the wisdom that comes with age and experience. Do you have any advice? Signed, Older But Not Over the Hill in Hillsboro, Illinois. 
and I, when I first read that, um, the, the first term that popped into my head was old heads. My, my son uses it sometimes, and it's usually in a joking way about sports. Old heads who still think Michael Jordan was the best player in the history of basketball don't understand but you know the greatness of the the modern players and stuff. So old head is a term that they use to dismiss the age and experience of others. Um, let, let's uh, let's let's address the question from your uh, your reader there. Well, I'll I'll be guilty of referring to C.S. Lewis again on your show. Forgive me here, but Lewis was once talking about the wisdom of ages. Uh, in fact, I think it was Lewis that might have coined the term chronological snobbery, where we assume that the modern is always better than the ancient. And he said, that's crazy. That's crazy. Ideas that have stood the test of time probably need to be attended to because of that very fact. They have endured test after test after test over the decades, over the centuries, over the millennia. And if an idea has been around long enough, a biblical idea, a constitutional idea that's been around for a couple hundred years or a couple thousand years. You might want to digest that idea a little bit more, uh, a little bit more so than you would, and consider it um, before you dismiss it. Just because you've got to, and frankly, I'm going to throw a bone to your Catholic tradition here. Okay. I'm not Catholic, I'm evangelical. Mm-hmm. But thank you to those of you on the Catholic side of the Church for defending history the history of the Church, so tenaciously, for decades, and for, for centuries, and for 2,000 years. Thank you for holding tenaciously to the truths that are given to us, handed down by our forefathers within the Church. Evangelicals come up with a new idea that's five minutes old, and we chuck 2,000 years of Church history like a, like a slip of a coin, and, and shame on us, quite frankly, the evangelicals who don't respect Church history as much as our Catholic brothers and sisters do. So my point in the article is, uh, to go to C.S. Lewis, he, was once, he once said this, if you want to get to America from England, you've got to have a map. Because the map's going to tell you where the reefs are, the sandbars are. The map's going to tell you where you're going. And who, who made the map? Who came up with the map? People that are older than you, most likely. People that have preceded you across the ocean toward America from England. So pay attention to the map. And to ignore it and presume that you know more than those that preceded you on this journey is suicidal. And Lewis was making the point that that is true biblically and that is true intellectually for all of us. If you want to get somewhere, attend to the map. And you know I refer to that in the article. That uh, today we don't, our our, our youth today don't even know what a paper map is. I mean, all they can, you know, they're going to put it on uh, MapQuest or whatever. They don't know how to use a paper map. We do the... We, we, we do a satellite version of that, but yeah. nonetheless, GPS now. It's, it's there because somebody put it together for us to tell us how to get to a given location. So I think in communicating with any generation, but especially young people today who are more emotional than they are logical, just generationally, is to communicate in metaphor and story. And I think this metaphor and story of if you want to get to America from England, Get a map. That will probably resonate more so with them than a rational debate. Yeah, and and I loved the metaphor, the map metaphor. When I read the article, uh, it's it's perfect. You're exactly right. Just like you know, you needed a world map and an oceanic topography map and so forth to go from one part of the world to another. Road maps when you're here. You need familial maps. You need uh, cultural maps. You need societal maps, and those maps have all been written and made by older people 
who have been there, done that, experienced this, and can share that with you. And the younger generation needs to know that. And what they don't know is that it's going to be a blink of an eye before they are that older generation. And they're the ones that are going to have to and better be ready to share the wisdom that they've gained with the generations that they that aren't even born yet. They don't understand that. They'll have to figure that out because... Uh, it's the only way we continue to evolve rather than devolve as a country and as a society. Um, Dr. Piper, so, so again, I want everybody to read those articles at the Washington Times, and uh, Dr. Piper has those on his Twitter, of course, which is uh, Dr. Everett Piper, Dr. Everett Piper. Last one for you, Dr. Piper, and I'm glad you sent this to me. I was aware of the lawsuit, uh, but I'm glad you sent me a, a, a link to an article about the female detransitioner. And again, this ties. All of these topics might seem like they're random. They're not. They tie together, again, because of what we are doing to the younger generation or what we are allowing to be done to the younger, younger generation and what is our responsibility for them. I guarantee you this female detransitioner wishes some adults had used their age and experience uh, that you just wrote about um, to talk this person out of this uh, this life-altering decision that was made. But there's a 21-year-old female detransitioner who underwent hormone therapy as a teenager that is now suing the American Academy of Pediatrics for pushing youth gender transition or sex changes and lying about the dangers of such medical interventions. There's somebody who could have benefited from age and experience telling her, don't do something like this. You want to give us your thoughts? Absolutely. I'm delighted to see this story. My wife and I have talked about this for a couple of years, that sooner or later, some of these, these poor teenagers that have been subjected to experimental surgery uh, in a mingle of fashion, sooner or later, they're going to start suing the hospitals and the doctors that did this to them, that butchered them, that removed their breasts that gave them hysterectomies, that injected hormones into their body to stop puberty. Uh, sooner or later, you're going to have a 25-year-old or a 35 or a 45-year-old that's going to wake up someday and say, that was a mistake, and sue the socks off of everybody who did this to them. Good. I hope that this person's tribe multiplies by hundreds. Uh, I've got a friend in Oklahoma. Her name is Laura Perry. People should go Google Laura Perry. She lived as Jake for 10 years. When she was a, ten year, a teenager, she was subjected to this butchery. She had a radical mastectomy. She had a hysterectomy. She had all the surgeries. She had all the hormones. She had a beard that I could never grow. She lived as Jake. Nobody knew that she was even a woman. But she came back to Christ. She came back to the church. She came back to her family. And so now she's reclaimed all of her God-given identity rather than living this lie. And now she's out there telling people what a huge, monstrous mistake it was to do this. Now, she has chosen to preach the gospel rather than sue, but I, I don't think it's morally wrong for people to sue for malpractice, these doctors that have done this, because there's no science behind it. This is nothing but social experimentation, and they're subjecting teenagers and younger to this nonsense. Sue the socks off of these people, and maybe they'll slow down this train. Yeah, well, you know what? I, I completely concur, and I was glad to see this, too, and I hope it is the first of many to come. And, I, you know, God willing, there could be a class action, you know, filed against, uh, you know, for all of these kids who became adults who whose lives are forever altered and forever ruined, quite frankly. It's why the suicide rate of the transitioners who go through the entire thing, they started when they were teenagers with the blockers and the cross-sex hormones and went all the way to the surgeries. 
uh, it's 19 times higher than uh, than uh, the general public of uh, of the same age, general general population of the same age. 19 times, not 19 percent. 19 times. Um, there's there's easily room for a massive class action suit against organizations like the uh, AAP, the American Academy of Pediatrics, for uh, for what they have done, for the complete malpractice that they are. Uh, they are continuing to provide and continuing to commit, I guess is a better way to say it, against all of these individuals. So uh, we'll follow this story very closely, and I'm sure you'll be writing about it at one point uh, as well. So, Dr. Piper, thank you for coming on and doing uh, the extra segment uh, with us. It was very much worth our time, and I look forward to talking to you again very soon. All right. Blessings. Have a good week. Thank you, Doctor. Dr. Everett Piper is one of my favorite people to listen to. There aren't a lot of people, there are some, There are some that I just enjoy having on because they're great conversations. There are some I enjoy having on because I learn. You know, I just shut up and listen, uh, maybe follow up with some things to dig a little deeper and get a little bit more knowledge. Um, He's one of them. There's, there's Peter Kirshnow is one of them. Dr. Piper is one of them. There's very few people like that that I just feel like I'm going to get smarter today because I'm talking to this guy. And hopefully you get smarter when you listen to them as well. All right. Top of the hour is coming up. We may have a guest in studio after the top. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. It is indeed an hour number three is now underway on this Thursday, the 26th morning of the 10th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. So I can tell you we do have a confirmation. We're going to have a couple of guests in studio here in just a few minutes. Um, It just worked out in a really, really great way as issue one, of course, continues to be uh maybe the number one source of concern and interest in uh in northeast ohio and maybe in all of ohio and of course we're all watching very very closely the horrors of israel and what was done there and we're watching the horrors in lewiston maine and what happened there last night and continues this morning um but here in ohio again we're talking about the preservation of life in a different way and of course that is uh through the uh radical pro-abortion amendment that is on the uh on the ballot for November 7th and how we are trying to stop that and defeat that. So it was just a really perfect timing that Aaron Bear, who is uh, uh, the head of uh, Protecting Women Ohio, Protect Women Ohio, beg your pardon, and um, Robert Kylo as well, they uh, they were meeting this morning here in, uh, actually they're in Rocky River. Aaron uh, is from Columbus, but he happened to be in town at a time 
when I said, hey, I've got an open slot at the 11 o'clock hour. Can you swing by the studio? And we weren't sure if they were going to be able to make it, but I got a text message saying we are on the way. So within the next few minutes, we ought to be able to have both those gentlemen in here to talk about the need for defeating issue one and about how important it is to get out there and tell the truth in the face of just a an avalanche of lies by way of uh, these dis- dishonest and deceptive uh, commercials. They have just an endless supply of money, those who are pushing for this amendment, an endless supply of money to fund a campaign of lies that need to be responded to on a personal level because we can't match the funds that they raise to respond on a broadcast level. Okay? The same TV buys can't be done by both sides. They have far more money to spend. So we have to do it on an interpersonal level, voice-to-voice, person-to-person, friend-to-friend, email recipient-to-email recipient to tell the truth. And so what I've been trying to do over the course of this campaign against issue one is to provide as much information as we can about the truth debunking the lies being told by those on the pl- on the uh, pro-issue one side with the facts and the reality of those on the pro-life side. And that's uh, what we're going to continue to do. That's why we talk to uh, so many individuals uh, from these organizations that are fighting for the side of life. So uh, so we'll talk to, um, to uh, Robert Kylo and uh, Aaron Bear coming up here in studio in just a bit. For now, though, let's go to uh, Tanya, who's calling from Akron on AM 1420, The Answer. Hello, Tanya. Go right ahead. Hey, I'm glad your daughter did not go to University of Maine. Oh my! Oh something my! Heavy on your on your heart this morning. I would um, probably not be on I, the air because I'd probably be somewhere I don't know around Massachusetts by now because I would have taken to the roadways overnight to get up there to make sure that my daughter was safe. Yeah, I. Yeah, I. We have to realize that whatever happened with the guy in Maine is probably a, a mental health issue. And if it's not a mental health issue, it is an act of evil. Okay? But we cannot let an act of evil or an act of mental health allow the conversation to go to taking away our right to protect ourselves. And that's how it always goes when something tragic like this happens. Um, I was talking to my cousin the other yesterday, matter of fact, about being able to protect ourselves in our homes now with a lot of the uh, break-ins that come in by people who don't care about our private property or our personal lives. The border is getting closer mm-hmm. to us, and... We, you know, they're going to say you don't need a gun because you're not, you know, it's only for hunting. No, it's for people that come hunting us. Okay. Um, And I know Maine is a state that they carry and they they carry. And their yellow law probably wasn't strong enough. But we don't need them to be so strict that if you have, Say, for instance, you have some, you're depressed because you lost a parent and you seek psychologic, you seek, goes to a psychiatrist for six to six months to get over that depression. You should not lose your right to protect yourself while you were going through something. And I think that's what they're, they're going to try to use this because it is a sad situation. But we need to be strong. We need to 
just like we need to have those voices to protect the children on issue one. And I'm not seeing as many signs as I thought I would see in the Fairline area. Vote yes. I'm seeing just as many vote no. And that's something that we didn't see last year, I mean, in, in the uh, summer election. So I think that we may we may have a quiet, quiet people that are going to vote no because they are they're they're finding out it's not just about abortion to the ninth degree it's about their parental rights too well that's a that's a lot uh and tanya i'm gonna uh, the first part is so complex you've you've articulated it very well i was trying to articulate it as well with dr piper and we'll, we'll maybe add on to it here it's so hard to try to protect people from other dangerous people with psychological problems and illnesses and so forth without violating their rights. Because one man's depression can lead him to become suicidal, and perhaps, if they have you know deeper problems, homicidal. And you certainly want to make sure that they don't have an easy means of committing those things against themselves or others. But another man's depression is just depression. And, and they're sad, and, and, and they may withdraw for a, from a while from all social contact, but that doesn't mean they're going to harm themselves. So how does a government uh, decide which of them to disarm, which of them to strip of their constitutional rights to, to, to own firearms? Because you don't know which of them might be homicidal and which one of them might be just really, really sad for a while before they get over it. The issue with me is that the same issue, the same medical industrial complex that are training our pediatricians to ask our children about their sex and their gender at 13, asking parents to leave the off, leave the room. Are right. the same? It's the same medical industrial complex that's training the psychiatrists and psychologists to talk about guns in a way that they may not have talked about them in 20 years ago. So they will be, those people will be able to strip our rights medically because those are going to be the experts and the people that will be able to make the final decision about it. Yep, and that's, that's, that's that, yeah, and, and for me too, Tanya, it's a great call and great points. I appreciate you very much. We're going to take a time out now because the aforementioned need for the holiday decorations, costumes, candy and treats for the kids, and so much more. That's why we like to tell you, Discount Drug Mart saves you the runaround. They've got everything you need. Take it from Charlie Kirk. As I read this New York Times article, so I read the New York Times so you don't have to. Salem Media Group reaches more people than they realize. This is my favorite line of the whole thing. Their hosts are big names, and they have huge reach, which makes them one of the most powerful forces in conservative media. Tap into our big names to help grow your business. Call Tim Vaughn at 216-525-1818. 216-525-1818. Thank you for finally noticing. Okay, it is uh, 20 minutes past the hour. We continue this morning on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. We were just chuckling a little bit about uh, the way this whole thing worked out. You know the voices of the two gentlemen who are in studio with me. I've had them on before. 
uh, never more important of a time to have them on than right now as we are now, what, 12 days or so away from November 7th and the decision on whether or not we protect life in the state of Ohio or we allow the most radical pro-abortion and anti-parents rights bill in the country, not a bill but an amendment to take effect in the state of Ohio. So uh, I'm so pleased and blessed to be able to have Robert Kylo, our good friend uh, from the Center for Christian Virtue. He's the Senior Director of, uh, Director of Advancement with CCV. And Aaron Bear, who is the head of uh, Protect Women Ohio, among other titles uh, that uh, have been working so very, very hard in trying to defeat um, this uh, this very dangerous and, um, quite frankly, deadly and evil uh, constitutional amendment. So, Robert, good to have you back into the uh, onto the program. How are you, my friend? Great to be here, Bob. I don't think he's hot there. Let's get that one up there. Try that again. Great to be here, Bob. What a blessing to be here. You're a champion. Thank you. Well, thank you, and Aaron. It's so good. You, I mean, you just happen to be in town from Columbus today working on issue one, right? It's just how God's working. And already I was telling you when we were off the air here, you know, we came up for some meetings on, on issue one, uh, and the day has just filled up because the energy right now, you know, Bob, you and I, you know, we were all in on fighting the August election, and it just felt like a, a, a car we were trying to push up a hill. Right. Whereas today and and on on this November election, the energy on our side is palpable. Um, you you see it everywhere you go. The things you see people on their own just picking up saying, "I'm gonna I'm gonna carry this mantle myself," is just phenomenal. Uh, I mean, even on the way over here, I was driving down 480 and I, I texted the campaign. I said, "Hey, I just saw a no on issue one billboard on 480 East. Uh, did we buy that?" And they were like, no, we didn't buy billboards there. Somebody else, like, people are just doing this stuff, yeah. man. It's amazing. It is, it is What's great. happening? And I don't want to dampen the enthusiasm or the optimism at all, but I want to ask you about it because I, I have also felt that energy shift since I saw about four or five days ago the results of one of the only surveys I've seen. I haven't seen a lot of Ohio surveys about where, uh, how the numbers are looking, but a, a poll that was commissioned and put out by Baldwin Wallace University, you probably saw it. It, it is not good. It yeah. is, in fact, shows us losing uh, to the uh, pro-issue one side by a, by a landslide. And I was very, very depressed by that. And I started to wonder why that is. And um, I started to see a couple of things in the last few days that, that made me wonder whether or not those things can be trusted. Because... You know, some of the most ardent pro-choice, or as I like to call them, pro-death organizations and and individuals are flipping on this thing, including the Toledo Blade. Everybody I talk to about this is blown away. I used to work in Toledo, so I know the Blade, it makes the Columbus Dispatch look conservative (laughs) by comparison. And yet the the, uh, editors, uh, um, what am I trying to say, the the, uh, editorial board, of the Toledo Blade issued their endorsement for no on issue one, saying this goes too far. Maybe that's a sign that things are shifting, Aaron. Well, and, and even, too, you look at the Cleveland Plain Dealer, mm-hmm. which is uh, about as much of a Marxist rag as you're going to find around in many ways. Uh, they refused to endorse issue one. So they didn't say vote no, right? but they didn't endorse issue one, which blew us away, quite frankly. And, and so so a couple things there. Um, you know, the, the Baldwin-Wallace poll... Um, you know, I'm not going to out of hand say, oh, it's all right. But Baldwin Wallace does not have a strong track record in Ohio of having good polling. And, and let me just say that baseline, that was a, a poll of 850 uh, registered voters, not likely voters. Okay. Uh, and even when you look at their their uh, their poll tests of issues one and two, um, for some reason, that sample was only 560. I don't know why, who, how they chose those 560 out of the 850 but but Baldwin Wallace on the whole does not have the, the strongest track record. 
The other thing, though, and, and this is, I, I keep saying it, folks, this is the first real sign to me uh, of, of good momentum our way, which was the, the plan dealer actually did a, did a story on this. Um, early voting numbers, right? What we see, you take the first two weeks of early voting for the August election compared to the first two weeks of early voting for the November election. Early voting in rural pro-life counties is up, and early voting in urban counties, pro-abortion counties, is down. So that's, that is a genuine sign. I will tell you, even on the PWO, our internals, uh, we're, we're not releasing these things publicly, but what I will say is we are very much in this right now. It is going to take a massive grassroots effort. It's going to take a movement to hold the Holy Spirit for us to beat this. Um, but if there was ever the opportunity for the momentum to carry us, carry us over the line, it's right now. That's a great that's great information. And I did have those same numbers about the rural communities versus the urban communities, which typically, again, they tend to vote a lot more in the early uh, early voting than than the other way around. And we saw that in in August as well. So that's great, Robert Kylo. What's your read? What are the signs you're seeing right now? Tell you. 12, 12 days away now from November 11th. Well, first of all, with God, all things are possible. There's still time on the shot clock. There's still time to serve. And Christians and Catholics and people that love the Lord all across this state are rising up as one voice, which is what we desperately need. Protect Women Ohio. So many organizations, including Center for Christian Virtue, rolling up sleeves to get to pastors and influencers who love the Lord, which then means love life. And we see, as Aaron already said, Tremendous momentum. We have to finish well. This is Ohio. It makes me think Ohio State, Notre Dame, that last drive. you got to get the ball in the end zone. And if you're a Christian and you're listening and you know people that are on the fence and aren't aware, it's time to be all in. This is high-stakes poker. Life and death is on the line. All chips in. Get out and get to your people. Go vote. And God willing, we can win this thing and make a definitive statement that this country, once again, is pro-life because we have to reclaim the narrative that this is a pro-life nation and we're a pro-life state. And I'm going. Uh, I was going to say honestly, we just put out a press release today from CCV PWO. Just pushed it out, um, and this is a major differentiator between August and November. Uh, you know, I don't know about you guys. I saw the ad that the the Yes campaign is running with that pastor Tim Aaron's, suggesting that Christians should su- support this abortion amendment, and it, it it disgusted me. Right, and 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 then of course the media is running this campaign saying, "Oh, Christians are split right. on this issue." Um, you know, you have the Catholic Conference, and there are thousands of parishes that are, every one of them have been called to preach a sermon on voting no on issue one. We put out a letter today with uh, eight different denominational leaders, Southern Baptist, Assembly of God, Church of God, uh, Church, uh, what else we got? We got the Christian Missionary Alliance. We, I mean, you name it, we've, we've got the new United, the Global United Methodists, all of them coming out saying, that, condemning that ad and saying Christians need to vote no. Um, I mean, this is, and that didn't happen before. You, this is, and this is where you see if there was ever a silent majority election, Bob, it would be this one where, where folks are going to turn out like never before. Yeah, that, that's, um, that's extraordinarily important. Are we getting enough leadership from our elected officials? Governor DeWine and his wife obviously cut a very important ad. Somebody called me yesterday, by the way, and said that ad is beautiful. It's wonderful. They both say, you know, that Ohio is split, but whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, this goes too far. The one thing missing from it are the words vote no. Make this very clear, and not just, hey, we think this goes too far. Say the words vote no. That's not there. But aside from that minor criticism of the ad, I want to see Governor DeWine, who has been very pro-life. I'm not a huge Mike DeWine fan Mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons. COVID primarily what was done. But, But I want to see him 
going from town to town. I want to see him making appearances, not just cutting a commercial and calling it a day. I yeah. think that leadership would go a long way. So, so Bob, let, let me just say this, and, and we are one of the few organizations, you, you talked about you and Mike DeWine dif- differentiate, you know, being on different pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've actually sued Mike DeWine. Right, we we have we're we're one of the few organizations that actually filed lawsuits against him. This was a, over a, a school choice issue about four years ago. Um, I have never seen a political leader put more on the line than Mike Dewine on this issue. On this issue, he is because there's the things that folks do out front, right? There's the things that folks do on stage or the media interviews or all of those types of things. But then, what the true test is: what are you doing behind the scenes? Uh, and Mike Dewine is doing more behind the scenes, raising money like pushing people to get involved, leveraging the political capital he's built up over 40 years. I I cannot say en- enough. Like, it, it is blowing me away what Mike DeWine is doing right now. Um, and the ad is is honestly just the tip of the iceberg. Again, I, I, I do not say that lightly. And again, folks that know me know Governor DeWine. So is DeWine there more I, coming then that oh, you're aware of from, oh, there's, from a public standpoint, not oh, just behind the scenes? From a public standpoint, certainly in terms of, I mean, he is all over the state doing local media, doing all that kind of stuff. Um, but also, too, the, the biggest thing, Bob, you know this, right? The biggest thing in these campaigns, and it's an ugly thing to say, is financial resources, right? Like, you have to, we have to be able to, to, to fight back on TV. And we're, we're getting outspent already, probably two to three to one. But I thought my, it was more than that. Oh, yeah. I, well, just on TV, yeah. they spent 16 million so far. We spent seven. Okay. Right? Um, like, just on that alone. But Mike DeWine is I mean, his the folks that have supported him over the years. He is leveraging his political capital to raise the money. Nobody else in the state is doing what he's doing there. We're going to talk more about that. We need a time out here. Bottom of the hour news is here. We'll talk more about the spending and about how we can co- uh, combat that and what other elected officials can do. These are the faces of the people, the representation of the people. We need those who are pro-life to get out there and be much more active and much more. Reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. All right, our final segment on AM 1420, the answer for this Thursday morning is going to be a great one because we get to spend a few more minutes talking with Robert Kyla from the Center for Christian Virtue and Aaron Bear with Protect Women Ohio as we continue to sound the alarm. Uh, you know, Robert, glad you mentioned that Ohio State final drive against Notre Dame because it plays into the metaphor I've been using about it. Sadly, it did not work in August, but I've been using the football game metaphor for this early voting situation and how important it is. So many people, particularly conservative Republicans who don't like all of these changes like mail-in voting and and, and drop boxes and early voting, they want good old-fashioned election day. That's when I vote. And we're getting smacked because... Those who are more left of center like the early voting, and they bank their votes for 30 straight days. So I've been using a football metaphor and saying, you know what Election Day is? Election Day is the two-minute warning. It's the time for the final drive. If you get smacked in the first quarter, which is week one of early voting, and in the second quarter, if you're not putting up points on the board, that fourth that, that two-minute warning on Election Day isn't going to mean anything. You can't overcome a massive deficit. So we need to bank votes and score points in week one, week two. Now we're in week three of early voting. we got one more week before, actually, Election Day. How important is that aspect of this thing, people not counting on being able to get to the their, their polling location on Election Day, trusting the machines will work, trusting they won't be out of paper, trusting all oh, the ink isn't working, and any of the other shenanigans that have hurt us when we think we're going to make up the difference on voting day? Well, I think lessons have been learned from August. God works all things together for good. Where we missed the mark then, we're moving the ball down the field now. And we're definitely way past midfield. We're heading into their red zone 
Aaron and Protect Women Ohio and organizations across the state of Ohio, the pro-life, are applying those lessons learned. And early vote, and Aaron can speak to that, we're, we're looking promising, but we have to get out there. And you've been sending that message clearly, but there's momentum. Aaron, you can speak to that from your perspective. Well, you know, I think the, the baseline here is, and I, before I ran CCV, I, I lived in Arizona for, for seven years. Uh, and I've, I've seen, you know, I, I really have seen, like, the, the, the stories about what happened in Arizona. Like, I, I was there in Arizona when they moved from polling locations to yeah. voting centers. Uh, I was at that election. I remember it was a summer day. And I, I went from having, you know, basically a three- to five-minute wait to go vote to waiting in the Arizona desert heat for an hour to vote, right? I, I saw those things happen in, in Arizona, the way, the way things played out. Ohio's very different. Right, the, the early voting process here is very different. The fact that you can only vote at your elect board of elections right. at designated times in person early, or do an a, a, an absentee request where you have to you have to actually mail in to get your early ballot. Right, they're not just shipping ballots out. So early voting in Ohio is much safer, much different than what you saw in some of these other states where we 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 saw shenanigans or or, or we saw signs of it, those types of things. Um, so the, the baseline here, though, is that we're, we we really see this message penetrating. And the big thing right now, Bob, one, if you haven't voted early, go go vote early. Um, but two, uh, there's there's only one Sunday in the early voting process that uh, the ballots are open, and that is the Sunday before Election Day. So if you have a church, the polls will open at 1 o'clock on that Sunday before Election Day. St- start now. Organize your potluck so that you get done with church at noon Everyone sticks around and eats a little bit, and then you head off together to go vote. Because uh, I think it's either 1 to 4 or 1 to 5 uh, that polls are open that Sunday before Election Day. So this is this is that last push, and I will tell you, Bob, this is one of the things that why we feel really good about where we're at right now. Is there's a lot of Christian voters that don't normally vote, especially in off-year elections. If we can literally drive them to the polls on Sunday after church, that's a big deal. Yeah, that's a great point, and I'm glad to hear that about Sunday, too. I was not aware of that. I'll make sure everybody knows about that going forward on this program. Uh, Aaron, we were talking about funding before the break, <clears throat> and you were talking about we're going to spend 2 to 3 to 1 or whatever it is, and my wife and I watch these, you know, watch TV at night together, and, and overwhelming number of yes on issue 1 ads, and, yeah. and not just the number of them, but what they're saying, which are absolutely easily provable lies. And so my wife says, well, then why don't we have enough ads going on that, that disprove those lies? And and my answer is, we can't raise the kind of money that they can raise. Yeah. And she said, why? And I said, because they have a product to sell. They have abortions to sell. Planned Parenthood could pump millions into these Yes, NSU1 ads, knowing they're going to replace those funds and then some and make massive return on their investment in the form of killing more babies. We don't have a product to sell except for the concept of life, the concept of, of in the, and the value and the dignity of life. So we're relying on donations and not selling products like they can sell. You are working overtime. You just mentioned Mike DeWine is working overtime yep. and a number of others trying to raise that money and make those donations, but they obviously have to be spent wisely in trying to disprove the lies uh, that we see on the yes uh, yes side of things. Can you tell me how that is going in these last two weeks? Yeah, I'll, I'll say two things there. One, to really drive this point home, and, and actually our first ad we ran with PWO made this point. Uh, you know, the, fa- the father of partial birth abortion, 
uh, which just I'm, I, we got to pe- speak really bluntly here right now. What partial birth abortion is is when you deliver the child's le- the child's too big to be able to uh, go in and abort normally. So this is second or third trimester abortion. You go in, deliver the legs, <laughs> crush the child's skull, and suck out the brain. Right. The guy that right. invented that procedure is from Ohio. He's from Dayton, Martin Haskell. We banned that procedure here. He's actually had clinics closed for being unsafe. He gave a hundred thousand uh, dollars to the Yes campaign. Why? Because it's great ROI for him. Right? Sure. He, he gets partial birth abortion back. He gets late-term abortion back and, and no regulations on his clinics. He, he's banking money on, on abortion, right? I mean, this is, this is the reality. So that, that, that's spot on. The other thing, but they be- tell, but they tell us those aren't, aren't happening. Right. Partial birth abortions are extremely rare. It's less than 1% or 2% or whatever of all abortions are third trimester or partial birth. That's what they say. How do you respond? Yeah, my, my favorite part about that, they're like, yeah, partial birth abortion's not happening. Yeah, cause we banned it. This, this, that's the whole point. You're bringing it back here. So, th- of course, you're going to see more. Th- oh, these aren't happening now. Well, yeah, a, a, because we banned the procedure. It's happening in other states it's where they don't have it. happening in other states where they don't which have is, it. Which right, is the exactly. point. Exactly. And, and the, the, the moment you lift these things off, the moment these things start, start, start taking off again. Um, but, but to your point on, on the TV ads, this is, this is where, you know, grace of God, we've got some phenomenal consultants on this campaign we we went into this with the strategy knowing we're, we're going to get outspent two to one right because not only is this business for them the other thing is they've got george soros in their pocket right and they've, they've got the media and, and all these things so so the the baseline on this uh, is we have strategized from the get-go we're not going to uh, we can't plan to match them two for two to one three to one on uh, on money they're, they're going to outspend us so what we need to use our tv for uh is really getting those folks in the middle right those folks who might be pro-choice but they don't believe in late-term abortion. They might call themselves pro-choice, but they don't think that kids should be able to get abortions. Those are the people the DeWines were talking to in that ad. That's exactly right. I, I right? hate to interrupt you, but we've got two minutes left, and I want to make them count here. Number one, they also argue that none of this stuff about you know uh, abortions all the way up to birth are going to happen. You guys are lying because the federal 20-week abortion ban still applies here, and that, that, law takes, uh, that, that law takes precedent over whatever you may pass or whatever you may put into the Constitution here. True or false? There is no 20-week ban in abortion federally. We, we've not passed that yet. What, is there, so that is something they're pushing for then? That, that's something that Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America has been pushing. We've been supporters of that. We, have a, we had a 20-week ban here in Ohio, but Se- that's not on the books of federal Second one, and I've been in some debates with people online about this, is the quote-unquote six-week ban. We don't have a six-week ban. We have a heartbeat bill. That's right. A heartbeat bill that became a law that has now, of course, been enjoined. We're waiting to see what happens with it. But the point being, the heartbeat uh, you know, be- it becomes uh, detectable at around six weeks. They're saying that's a lie. That has been disproven that science now says the heart isn't developed until 20 weeks. You're hearing, what do they call them, flutters? Flutters of the heart tubes that are starting to become developed, but it's not a heartbeat yet. No, that, I, again, that that's just insane. I've not heard that one yet. Again, they, they have no. I've got, I've got, yeah. I've got somebody who went through nursing at Kent State who said, "I learned that in nursing school. I previously believed that the heartbeat, uh, heart was developed and was beating at six weeks, but they told us in nursing school that's not true." R- Robert, how many kids you got? Three, a fourth on the a way. My wife's the... thirty-six weeks pregnant. Yeah, you, so we know a little bit about this. You just heard sonograms. I got two. I don't know about like. I, I mean, two. You got two. Like we heard something that it went. went Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.